0: Okay, so here we are. Yeah, Bletchley Park. I'm very excited. Very
1: excited. Weirdly intimidated.
0: Are you? Yeah.
1: Do you have that feeling like you? Have, I just don't. I don't know if I deserve to be here yet. Do you know what I mean? Do you know?
0: I'm hoping that I'll be sort of brought in as some sort of code breaker. Yeah,
1: you're treating this as a bit of a job interview, aren't you? More than
0: anything, absolutely. I don't see. I don't see the problem in that. I think. I think you'd be an asset. <laughs> Let's see. So at, we're at the main entrance right now. The thing that I like, if you go on their website, if you go, if you look at any of the signs, mm. there's all these like numbers and letters yeah, everywhere. it's very good branding, isn't it? M- mashed up. Yeah, for it, want of a better word. It's sort of a
1: bit like an escape room. But I would say,
0: that, yeah, I mean. I don't know whether we're minimising the work that people yeah. did at Bletchley if we're likening it to an escape room.
1: Sure. but <laughs> <laughs> Much higher stakes one.
0: Yeah, much higher stakes escape room. Some kids um, coming in there. So here we've got, we've got families coming in. We've got school groups it's here. Something for everyone. It's very busy.
1: Yeah, no, I really do like this brand. I also love this, um, these colours, these, this sort of grey and green.
0: Well, you're, you're redecorating your house at the moment. So that's yeah, great. and I'm
1: actually, I didn't think I'd get as much inspiration, but I am. <laughs> it's, it feels like a very modern palette, doesn't it?
0: Hi, I'm comedian Susie Waffle here
1: at Bletchley Park in Milton Key. And I'm fellow comedian Jenny Bede. And this is... Meet, Meet me, at me at the, the museum. museum. We did that very well. We did that very well.
2: Hello. Hi, welcome to Bletchley Park. I'm Perinel, I'm head of programmes here. Oh hello, nice to meet you. Can
0: we use our national art pass?
2: Yes, absolutely. You're very welcome to use your art pass. It will get you 50% off our admission fee to Bletchley Park. Excellent. Very good. And yeah, Bletchley Park is it's open every single day. Mm-hmm. We're a major museum and heritage attraction and the home of the codebreakers in World War II. So Bletchley Park is where the Allies broke. German and other enemy codes and ciphers all the way through the war ramping up to a huge amount of activity by 1945 with almost 9,000 people working round the clock Wow, 9,000, That's like so a many. mini
1: festival
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: that less really fun,
1: saw it. no less fun <laughs>
2: Yes, wow. it was a massive operation. I mean, they started with a few hundred people here. Just as the uh, as war broke out, the co-breaking organisation, Government Code and Cipher School, was evacuated from London to its war site, Bletchley, wow. keep it out of danger and yeah. allow the work to carry on. But very, very quickly, the importance of it to World War Two was really rapidly realised. Yeah. And in our latest exhibition, the Intelligence Factory, we tell the story of the incredible scaling up that happened on site and how the intelligence based on all of the activity the co-breakers, influenced every part of World War II. Wow, and we can see that today. You can absolutely see that today. We've got a 23-acre site to explore with beautiful grounds and a lake. We've got the original Edwardian mansion that was the first home of the co-breakers. And then all of the buildings that were were put up through World War II as the operation expanded from the wooden huts right through to the massive brick blocks like the one we're standing in now. Right, and this is
0: where the Enigma Code was broken, which is sort of one of the most famous you talk about code breaking in the in the Second World War, that will be the one that comes up more often than not, right? That's
2: absolutely the one everyone's heard of and yeah. Alan Turing, his amazing contribution. I yeah. yeah. have to say it was a real team effort of course. Sure. Um, and not just the British but also the French and the Polish who had wow. done a lot of work on Enigma before World War Two, and handed right. over that knowledge to the British who could then carry on and build on that work. So a massive amount of work went into Enigma but also other ciphers that were even more complex that people haven't heard of as much like Lorenz, the Lorenz cipher which was used by german high command so that was essentially listening to hitler talking directly to his commanders and gave some really important high-level strategic information to complement all the kind of on-the-ground operational information coming from enigma
0: wow okay now we need to get in i need to find out more now absolutely i wanted to come to bletchley park i've wanted to come here for years actually and it's really poor form that i haven't been because I'm I'm really interested in sort of the women's role mm. during the Second World War. I'm really interested in sort of the level of secrecy here and really interested in the life and work of Alan Turing. Um, so I'm really excited to be here and I, I thought you'd enjoy it.
1: I'm really glad you brought me. Thank you. Because you are really interested in history. Yeah.
0: And... Feminism. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I think it 's what you know, it's somewhere that I've always wanted to come and I just haven't and mm. I don't know why. But I am I, like, you know, I think something with World War Two, you, you forget how recent it was really, yeah. don't you? So my my grandmother so I and I didn't know this until her funeral, until the eulogy at her funeral. She um, worked in a factory making aircraft seats.
0: Oh wow! Yeah,
1: and apparently didn't like it very much. So then got an office job <laughs> for the aircraft. And I remember at her eulogy, you know, she was sort of painted as being this pioneer in this her war effort, you know, yeah. story, and being like, oh wow, we forget that it was so recent and that it has yeah. directly affected so many people we know. And what about on your dad's side? Dad's family's all Jewish. They had to flee from Belgium. Right. Um, and I, d- I don't know what year that was, to be honest. No. I, I, again, this I know already being here is making me want to look into it.
0: Yeah. Because my granddad was part of the Royal British Engineers, which meant he just went and signed up on the first day of the war. But because he was a builder, wow. they made him an engineer, which meant that part of his job would be to get all of the British troops, say, over a bridge, for example. Yeah. And then they'd blow up the bridge so that no one could follow them. Amazing. But it's, it's interesting. I'm sure we're going to hear about all the different places that the British soldiers were, but I know that my granddad was in Dunkirk and I know he sort of swam away and then got on a fishing boat. Uh, Really? Yeah, and I know that he was part of the North African campaign, but he never ever spoke about it. So I think that's why another reason why I'm so intrigued about him. My nan, when she was alive, told us bits and bobs, but he didn't even really share with her the horrors that he'd seen and what he'd been through. So I feel like, yeah, whilst I don't have a direct link to Bletchley Park, I feel like I've got a real link to sort of, The Second World War, so I'm really interested. Yeah, yeah, to find out more.
1: And it's just, I think, like we were saying, this element of secrecy just makes it so cool. (laughs) Yeah, really exciting, actually.
0: (laughs) Oh, group of kids have just come in as well. It's great. There's loads of school groups here, which is brilliant. Yeah, I wish I was brought here. I was just about to say
1: that London Zoo was great, but
0: I mean, this is probably learning some real history. So there's like a black and white film of. I guess just to give you an introduction to this place. Yeah.
2: In Buckinghamshire, offices are closed down, papers burned, machines dismantled. The group of people that no one knows about or has even heard of quietly disperses, unnamed, uncelebrated. But they have won their own war the Code War. This is Bletchley Park.
1: It happened here.
0: Oh, my God, that gives you shivers, proper, doesn't it? Proper chills, yeah. Right. Exciting. We keep, let's keep walking. The idea that people sort of gave so much of their life here... and couldn't And, talk then, about and it. Then they couldn't talk about it, they couldn't tell anyone. At a time, you know, and for us in this day and age, where we, we all talk about everything. everything yeah. Every time we do something, we have to tell 100 people. Now, something I'm really, really interested in is a specific codebreaker called Alan Turing yeah if we go to Hut 8 they've got sort of a recreation of his office and we oh, can find a bit more about him amazing so to get there we've got to make it out of this first building that we've come into and go into the grounds of Bletchley Park which is really beautiful there's they like a are. lake and oh yeah lovely loads of outdoor areas. it's area. really big isn't it it's very sprawling. yeah far bigger than I imagined it actually. totally
1: well it's, I mean, it makes sense you know if there are 9,000 people here yeah
0: I wonder, like, there must have been a great sense of camaraderie. It must have been brilliant to feel like you were doing something so important.
1: Yeah, exactly. I can't imagine that, to be honest. (laughs) As a stand-up comedian, you know what I mean? It must have been particularly this element of secrecy. I wonder how that sort of kept that sort of buzz going as well. Like, feeling like you're all in the same boat and you can't talk of it outside of here.
0: And also the fact that they knew they were, you know, intercepting those messages... You know, watching in real time on the news. Unbelievable. Their work. And what it's doing. Yeah, what it's doing.
1: Wow, so look, we're just passing this amazing lake on the left. Yeah. With a fountain in the middle.
0: And then there's and loads sort of all of... these... Are these the huts? i There's sort of these sure. big sort of square buildings. They're blocks, okay. Blocks. So they're the blocks where people... We're presumably different types of people... Would have worked, doing all sorts of yeah. jobs. Obviously not every single person here were code breakers. They were doing lots of things. Oh, I didn't know that. Right, okay, we're walking past a school trip. Having a photo in front of the lake. Very nice. So this massive building that we're coming up to now, which is like an old red brick mansion. Yeah. That was the, f- that was the only thing that was here at the beginning of the war. That was the only oh, wow. building that existed before. And everything else that we're looking at now is, was purpose built. Oh, for During them to do the, the work. War and for the war effort. Yes, oh, exactly.
1: I watched the uh, the imitation game. Oh, remember? yeah. Do you remember? The yes, when, brilliant. Uh, Alan Turing's ca- Benedict actually playing Alan Turing, ran a lot around the grounds. So oh, I wow, look. Down.
0: There's the old... Oh. These must have been people's actual bikes. They look really cool. And so huge. These, well, I mean, of course people would have needed bikes to get around to this stuff. To get around massive, the
1: massive yeah. You could massive area. walk from place to place, depending on what it was you were doing.
0: Oh, no, here we come to it. Are we coming to no. the huts? We're coming to Hut 8. As a, a, a gay person, a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, Alan Turing's name is, is someone that comes up quite a lot because you know he did incredible work during the war, and then he was sort of stripped of his clearance and he was um, he was criminalized and he and he never apologized for who he was, and I think that's I think that's enormously brave, mm. and he um, he poisoned himself as cyanide. But previous to that, he'd also been chemically castrated. So he'd given so much to people, to mankind, um, by being here. Obviously, it wasn't just him that was uh, that was part. He was part of a team here that helped end the war. But just the idea that someone could give so much of themselves and work so hard for humanity, yeah. and then have something that is totally beyond his control the thing that he's chastised for yep. is is just such um, a huge sadness. Because of that he went to his grave as a criminal and was only posthumously pardoned you know a decade ago. Do you think
1: that it's one of the reasons that Alan Turing is, is such a queer icon is it, the fact that he was unapologetic about it.
0: Oh 100% Yeah, people were living in secret people mm-hmm. were having lavender marriages which is where gay men married straight women or married lesbians mm-hmm. so that they could live in secret happily together without the you know the watchful eyes of people trying to, you know, tell the police who they were, mm. and so I think the fact that he never apologised for who he was was enormously brave. Yeah. So we've just walked into like a hut. Hut number it is. eight. Yep. And this is where, and we're in sort of this quite hot little. It's hot, isn't it? It's, it's quite stifling in here. Yeah. And this is a recreation of Alan Turing's office quite a lot of people come in obviously quite a popular yeah, yeah, definitely. to visit so he was sort of a pioneer when it came to code breaking let's have a look in his office oh wow look at this oh amazing wow it's not as big as you'd think for such an important job <laughs> so he was part of but that's the thing I think a lot of the time people think oh it was just Turing but actually and I think it, it was a whole team more, it was a whole team of people yeah. but his story has obviously been one that's really been committed to history because of his personal life yes outside of Bletchley Park as well so well, he, like, so
1: there's, there's two deaths there's one main yeah. one which obviously I think he would be working on would you say is this maybe an assistant or something yeah it does seem that way with, just, with a typewriter uh, and a, and a cardigan. cardigan.
0: Is that a woman's cardigan? Yeah, maybe it was a woman's. Card- I think he was engaged to someone that was also working at Bletchley Park. One of the code breakers. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So there's some there's some codes on the wall. Do you want to
1: have a go? No. B
0: T two I IE. Oh, see. I
1: already th- read that as a Z. So already we, already we wouldn't issues. be doing well. Absolutely. And then there's obviously a map on the back of uh, that wall there.
0: Sort of Raw material is war material. So that's a poster on the wall, and it's telling you to save everything. Wow! Newspapers, empty packets, cardboard boxes, brown paper. Raw materials are war materials. So recycling, basically. Yeah, but they needed everything, didn't they? Yeah, yes. There's, so. there's some books on top on of the filing, filing cabinet. cabinet. There's uh, an old clock. It's very.
1: It's quite a low ceiling. Quite sort of stifling. Very stifling. There's a window there. I don't know if they'd have had.
0: I wonder if they it open, been, or, or
1: or if you know, a part of the secrecy would be that they had to. I'll we'll have to ask that later. Yeah. Look, quite an old fashioned sort of inbox there, effectively. Yeah. Pigeonholes with days of the week on it.
0: Okay, should we keep looking around? Mm. Okay, so we're in a room that's sort of. Quite bare, isn't it? It's really bare, and it reminds me of. Did you have any rooms a bit like this at secondary school? Yeah, I did. You know what? Yeah. I was just. I feel like
1: we had a common room like this, like quite low ceilings, low hanging lamps. Yeah lights, anyway, um, sort of wood, some wood panelling, quite yeah. basic. There's a green door there. Which... And all
0: the all the windows are blacked out. And yeah, I wonder, I wonder if that's what... because...
1: Top secret. Top secret stuff. But I mean, imagine having to... You know, at this is a working environment. Yeah, it's really hot, and it's not even a hot day today. Exactly. Oh goodness, I didn't even think of that. Do you? I just, I mean, if you imagine having to work in these conditions for something so important. Like, I get very like it has to be the perfect temperature, has to be
0: the perfect lighting. I don't think you would have been much use in the war effort, Jen. No. no, I love you dearly, but no. I don't think, I think you would not I. have been the one, love. But even you, you've got your
1: special little red room that you do your writing in, don't you? I like you? to be in it's a dark room doing my writing. On the...
0: But listen, I feel like if they said, "Look, this is this is to help." You'd just you 'd put up the second world war <laughs> i would have, I would have done it now we 're going into another one of the huts, and this is called the bomb bomb with an E bomb, bomb with an e at the end bomb breakthrough the bomb breakthrough hut eleven a and what does it okay. say about the
1: moment there 's a sign just as we go in saying the brick buildings foundations to your right they were built to house the bombs oh which were the machines? That sped up the process of them code breaking. So I, so I watched The Imitation Game quite recently, right? And I recognised these as the as, as the machine that that Anna Turing and his team had to convince them to give them the money oh, to yes, I remember that, that, that would basically, because the idea was that, that there's no way they could the manpower wouldn't do wouldn't it. Do it quick they so couldn't they beat to... a computer. We meant they had to match a computer to a computer. Right. So they built it, and it took a long time by all accounts.
0: Right. So now we're walking in to the bomb breakthrough. So the bomb machines gave the Allies a crucial advantage, helping to win the war. So, as you just said, yes you're right, these are the actual numbers. machines. The number of pathways a key press could take through an Enigma machine
1: was greater than the number of seconds since the universe began.
0: Okay. Yes, Jen, yes. If you got... New right, the people behind the bomb... The Is there actually one of the machines here? Oh look at that! It's really busy in here. I don't want to disrupt everyone's visit.
1: No, but do you know what? I just, uh, while well, we're waiting to go and get a closer look at the bomb machine. I just saw a, an interesting thing about why it's called the bomb machine. Oh, cool. Um, two reasons. One, it's because apparently the ticking noise it made.
0: Oh, and sounds the, like a bomb about to go off Yeah, yeah. frightening.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah, and I guess it was pretty much a race against time for them every day, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. But the other reason is that it was, it was based on a Polish machine. I understand that apparently in Polish, bomb means like a really good thing. Oh, B- or Bumba, Bomba, B O M B A. Oh wow! So my family are Ashkenazi Jews, my dad's side, and so so from Poland and Russia and I think Czechoslovakia maybe, and my grandmother was living in Belgium when it all started and and fled. <laughs> so having Jewish heritage, you know, World War Two. It's I would say there's there's a I mean obviously it's tragic for everyone but I feel like you know sort of the, the Holocaust part of it all is something that you don't forget mm. you know it, it does get past that effect. I remember the first time I ever knew what the Holocaust was was one Christmas day when I was eight years old and my dad sat me down don't know why he chose Christmas day wow. sat me down to talk about it oh I know why it's because I was playing with a toy that was red and black and it went that's Nazi colors and I was like excuse me yeah Matt so it's like been something that has been I think it's something that you don't... Yeah, it stays with you, obviously. Yeah. But again, yeah, I think they just sort of didn't speak about it that much because it was all too horrendous. Mm. You know, they lost so many family members.
0: What we're hearing right now is the bomb machine whirring, trying to test out... So, but as you can All see, look—if you have a look positions. around each wheel. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve wheels going along, and, and there's, there's nine one,
1: rows of wheels. Right, okay, and then nine In different rows. colours. I wonder what the colours mean.
0: And on every single wheel, there's the alphabet. Yeah. Just going from A to Z. So yeah. So yeah. what they're trying to do is work out which letters have been swapped for the other to crack the code. I see. So there's so many different versions,
1: of, so many possible combinations. Yes. Yeah. It says on this sign, actually, it took less than 12 minutes to test all 17,576 wow. possible Enigma rotor
0: positions. And, he made, and they made this? Yeah. Incredible. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Jen, come and have a look at this. What's this? So this is a, this is a letter in a glass cabinet dated the 6th of the 6th. I can't read. The writing is so small, isn't it? No. It, I don't think I that's don't the think, date. No, I think that's a code.
1: Absolutely. 0432 forward slash six, forward slash six. Plus plus.
0: Everywhere along the east coast. Up to the edge of... Your area, parachute landings and bomber attacks. In some places, landing boats. Situation still confused. So this is obviously what someone has picked up from that's an intercepting... A message. It was intercepted from German forces. It says here on On D-Day. Oh wow! So how the message would pass? So they would say the German messages were intercepted and transcribed. The messages were then sent to Bletchley Park. So they would be intercepted elsewhere, sent here. Then here, they would received Enigma traffic was analysed. Cribs and menus were prepared for the bomb machine. So they would then put those messages into this big machine. I see then the Wrens, then the women's were on section, right. used the menus to set up and run the bomb machines. So, so this be- was all
1: the women that, that, yeah. were, that were doing this bit?
0: The results from the bombs were then checked. The rest of the setting for messages were worked out. The results from the bomb machines were then used to decrypt the Enigma messages. So it's going through so many systems to find so the answer. So like in- Once they were decrypted, they were translated. Again. And then, yeah, and then they, they were... Assessed by the intelligence department, and then they were distributed to the British and Allied leadership.
1: I, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it? Like I so can clever. barely decipher this description. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, I'm David. Hello, David. It's nice yes. to meet you. What t- tell us yes, about what you Yes, I'm here. David
3: Kenyon. I'm the research historian here at Bletchley Park, so I'm in charge of the story. I'm, um, the, I'm the, the master of the facts.
0: Oh, great. So you're the perfect person. Exactly so. who we need yes. to be talking to. Yeah, because we, we feel like we're not, we're not quite across it yet.
3: Yes, and you may have heard a whole lot of things that masquerade as facts, yeah. but are actually myths and bits of film scripts and other <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> yeah. misleading things.
0: Okay, so, so some myth bashing needs to be done. Yes,
3: there is a little bit of myth bashing to be done.
0: Okay, great. Well, let's walk over to Block B, and hopefully you can tell us a little bit more about Alan Turing and his role here at Bletchley.
3: Sure. Walk this way. (laughs) The first thing we have here, all these rather terrifying-looking academic papers on mathematics and computing. This is Turing before the war, and this is the work he was doing uh, partly in the USA, partly at Cambridge. Famously, there's a paper called... um, on computable numbers and an application of the Entscheidungsproblem, this was where he was starting to think about some of his very, very famous mathematical ideas right, okay. around the Turing machine and things right. like that. The, Turing, the complication is he came up with a theoretical machine which solved mathematical problems, but he also came up with the bomb, and they're two completely separate things. Right. Okay. People right. tend to muddle them up. Okay. But so he's doing all this work on mathematics uh, before the war. And one of the people he's studying under is a chap called Max Newman, who was also at Cambridge. And Max Newman actually came here to to Bletchley Park as well, so the two of them were working here together. And actually after the war, when Max Newman went to Manchester to start building what was one of the first British computers, Turing went and worked with him there as well. So their careers ran alongside for a long time. And actually this collection of Turing uh, academic papers here Belonged to Max Newman,
0: right? Oh, and he donated them. So he,
3: his. his, his oh, wow. I think it was his family, right? Donated them to us. So, so this, this is all Turing stuff, but it's come through the hands of his, his yeah. sort of boss and supervisor, if you like. Okay. This is uh, some of the other Turing artifacts we have. Yes. And people often ask me what was what was he like as a person, and people tend to concentrate on his academia and his his supposed eccentricity. Mm-hmm. What we see here, there's oars there's, there's here because he rode at Cambridge. Oh,
0: right, OK, wow. And okay. he was also a long dis-
3: very successful long-distance runner. Yeah, it's, it's suggested that his times were, would have qualified him for the Olympic team. Wow. So, Quite an overachiever, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what I like about it is it shows that he wasn't... He gets so often portrayed as this kind of bookish, kind of mm. um, eccentric. I think mm. he was actually much more of a rounded person than mm, that. Yeah. You know, he, he ran regularly. He, he rode at university... Um, and we have his teddy bear here as well. Yes. Which he used to prop um, Porgy here in his rooms at Cambridge with a with a mathematics textbook in Porgy's arms uh. um, to suggest that he was also studying. He was with also him. reading. I just think it's it's easy to exaggerate his sort of genius at the expense of yeah. expense of his humanity, if you like. Yeah. And I think some of this stuff shows that he was, you know, a man as well, a man as well, and yeah, a thoroughly rounded human, man who, yeah. you know.
0: So, when we're thinking about how the how the the messages are intercepted, so sort of going sort of right from the beginning of a message being sent in Germany right. to to uh, uh, to whoever, they, they would then be intercepted and by somebody else, and then what yes. they found would have been brought here. Essentially, yes. Right? yes.
3: What you have is the German military, army, navy, air force, mm-hmm. are all sending. Wireless messages yes. between themselves. Uh, typically, the ones that we're interested in with Enigma are sent at sort of divisional level. So that's that's units of maybe five to ten thousand soldiers. So it's like quite that, high level. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not it's not just sort of one platoon talking to another yes. platoon. It's quite senior stuff. But those messages are typically very short. Mm-hmm. They're two hundred and fifty characters is the limit. Right, for each message. Okay. So it's, it's, it's quite like a tweet. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> original Twitter. So, but they are sending hundreds of these messages every day. Yes, through all their different networks, and so those messages are being broadcast on the wireless, and they can be heard in the UK. Right. So there are intercept stations in the UK and all around the world, in fact, where you basically have people with headphones listening for that Morse code, right. tapping. So, all these messages are out there. They're being mm. intercepted by uh, these Y stations, they're called these operators. Yeah. And they would, early in the, basically, they've got a, a form and a pencil and they'd write down the Morse code. Okay. In, well, not the Morse code, they turn it yeah. into letters, letters alphabet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But what they're writing is gibberish to them. Mm. It's just a jumble of letters right. in little groups of four or five characters at a time. Okay. And there are 250 characters in the message.
0: This is a stupid question, but it would have been in German.
3: Yeah, under the, yes. underneath it's in German, but yes. what you're reading is in, in ciphered German, so it's right. literally okay. yes. gobbledygook. Yeah,
1: oh so there's so many layers of encryption. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So
3: those messages are then sent here to Bletchley Park, yep. either by teleprinter or by Motorcycle Courier.
0: Right, okay. Latterly
3: it's teleprinter because they get, they're getting so many thousands yes. of them every day that wow. it, you, know, you wouldn't have enough motorbikes. So they're <laughs> yeah. all coming in. And the task that Bletchley Park then has is to decipher them from gobbledygook into German... And then, and then make sense of the German yes. and then understand what they're talking about and then convey that information to to, the intelligence. to either the British government or to yeah. commanders in the field or wherever. So it's quite a long chain of yeah, different activities.
0: Really and, and did a lot of the people not really know? They didn't know what they were doing, they didn't know... They would have
3: had a, a broad inkling of what was going on, Yes, that it had something to do with communications <laughs> yeah. and the war effort. But, and they might have had a very clear idea of what their little bit did, but the overall picture not at all really no and the senior staff actually decided after 1943 that this was becoming a problem and they did introduce a limited series of lectures to kind of give people a slight clue yeah. <laughs> right <So he laughs> they had, had a better had a bit idea, of an idea of what they were up to but interestingly you hear from that photograph there is of women from hut 6 and hut 3 i heard from a veteran of hut 6 whose material was going out of her hut to another place and it was only after the war she discovered it was 6 feet away in the hut next door. Oh, funny. Really? And occasionally she'd phone them up. And she assumed it was in London or you know somewhere else. She oh, didn't realize yeah. it was It was a couple of Hudson. huts down. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Which gives you a se- real sense of the the, the level of, the of secrecy. Yeah. yeah.
0: Because of the National Secrets Act, so many women didn't and men that worked here didn't talk about their experiences. Yeah. And they, and they couldn't. And then I imagine lots and lots and lots of those stories people have taken to their graves. And I think it's so important that those stories are preserved and that their sort of bravery and intelligence and minds are remembered. I just think it's so inspiring for like younger generations to come here and to hear about things that people did. And I keep banging on about it. I think the fact that there were so many women here doing so many incredible things, yeah. I think that's so important for young girls to hear. Because I feel like when I was growing up, no one told me about the women's effort during the war other than the land army girls and women yeah. sort of staying home on the front. Exactly, holding the fort, yeah,
1: effectively. Exactly. I remember in our history books, the, all I remember about the war ending was Hitler killing himself. So the idea of there being any code break, like it, it almost seemed like a passive thing yeah. that, that, that made us win the war as opposed, you know, opposed to these insanely... <laughs> these tremendous efforts that yeah. so many people went to and i don't know if that was because it was all a secret for mm-hmm. such a long time and i don't know how old these textbooks were but you know it's that thing about everyone doing their bit and even now as things happen in the world yeah that you know sometimes seem out of our control you know if you if you do a bit if, if, if you do the thing that you're good at yeah there is there is space for you to make a real difference Wow, look at this. So we are right in the Intelligence Factory. Yes. Don't know about you. Delighted they let us in. absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, and we absolutely. are going to meet, I mean, it's, it's again, it's a huge building, isn't it? Yeah, it is. do
0: wartime architecture, isn't it?
1: Very much so. We're going to meet someone called Erica, who's going to tell us more about things.
4: Hello. Hi, Hello. how are you? Hi. Very well, thank you. I'm Erica Munro. I'm the Exhibitions Manager at Bletchley Park. Great. And welcome right. to the Intelligence Factory. Thank you. So, tell
0: us, just give, give us like a... a oh, couple of lines on what this exhibition means to you and and, and what it's about.
4: This exhibition in a word, is huge. Right. Basically, it's a large mm. exhibition. There's a lot of spaces, 22 individual spaces throughout the actual set of galleries. Wow. But also, it's been a huge part of our lives at Bletchley Park for the last few years with hundreds and hundreds of people working on it, putting mm. it together. Yeah. But also, it's a huge part of Bletchley Park's story. So covering 1942 to 1945, this massive peak period of Bletchley Park activity means that we're able to tell so many more stories that we just couldn't before. Before and in the space where it actually happened. That's amazing. So you're in block A, this first built block that heralded the beginning of this new period of growth and development of Letchley Park. Amazing, brilliant. And we're going to hear a bit more about some personal stories. Yes. Throughout the exhibition, we've tried as hard as we can to put faces and words of our veterans. Best way of finding out about what their experiences exactly. were is hearing them say it themselves. So we're in this small room painted in the wartime colours right. of quite garish yellow and green. Yeah. And we have a quote on one of the doors which is from a woman called Gwendolyn Page, who was really young when she came to Bletchley Park, 17. Wow. Pretty standard at the time. Most people were in their late teens or early twenties. Oh and she's remembering her time in the neighborhood section the quote says i do remember one or two personal signals came in maybe the commander of the u-boat was told his wife had had a son or the homes of members of the crew had been bombed but mostly it was to do with positions sightings and possible attacks yeah. it's that personal and wartime colliding mm. yeah. both with the people that were working here but also the messages they were reading and the things that they were learning about the enemy as well unbelievable wow.
1: 17 seems so, so young yeah.
4: and You'll have heard from my colleagues as well how many people were working here yeah. at its peak. So nearly 9,000 people at its busiest. And just imagine the vast majority of them are women mm-hmm. and the vast yeah. majority of them are super young. So, yeah. And in prob- presumably out in the world for the first time. Yes, probably nervous, probably yeah. excited. But Bletchley Park must have just been a buzz with young people mm. and. That's, I suppose, freedom of being social for the first time, but at the same time of being under wartime difficulties and constraints. When I became 18, a letter came saying, would you please report for an interview in London at the Foreign Office on a certain date? So I thought, oh, this is going to be the job. So off I went and was interviewed by a very nice lady. This is one of my favourite rooms. This space has another... Ton of audio points in. We have 12 oh, yeah. different tracks from veterans speaking about being recruited and trained at Bletchley. And from the nearly 9,000 people who worked here, everybody's experience is different. Everybody has an individual story to tell. So even being able to find 12 stories in here was so hard from the dozens and dozens and dozens that we had wow. available to us. So there are women, there are men, there were people who were maybe slightly older, there yeah. are people who, this was their first job out of school. There were people in the armed forces or civilians, people who were local, people who traveled from quite a distance to come here. And it's wonderful just to hear the variety of their their voices as well. Oh, wow. Speaking about what it was like meeting the recruiter, perhaps, who asked them very difficult questions or being told that they were going to be studying Japanese, which was very rarely spoken in this country. There were hardly any Japanese speakers yeah. in Britain, but well, at Bletchley Park, they trained you to speak a type of Japanese within six months from ah. scratch.
1: Wow. That's Which is super cool. <laughs> in <laughs> and, six months. Yeah,
4: and these were, again, young women, and yeah. maybe they didn't, maybe they had a, a skill at words or languages or something, but maybe they were just bright, and somebody said, I think you could probably do that kind yeah. of work. You've seen the right sort. Yeah.
1: There's, there's silhouettes of... Uh, of the workers here sort of in spotlight on the walls and a huge bench through the middle where there's sort of stations to sit and listen to some of this oral history from some of the people that would have worked here along one wall we've got we've got a list of the jobs I guess a list of I'd say I don't know 50 50 different sort of positions. There's a row of hooks like you'd have at school, really, and there's lots of sort of different uniforms, hats and and coats, jackets. Oh, and look at this, Susie, a big sign about secrecy. I want to draw
4: your attention to this, actually, because it's
1: amazing. Okay.
4: This is a document, a very specifically Bletchley Park document, because you can see we have Bletchley Park in the text on it. Oh, yeah. And this was given to everybody when they joined Bletchley Park. This is from 1942. They were given this, and it explained why they had to keep secret what work they were doing it says do not talk at meals do not talk in the transport do not talk in your billet or where you're being put up to live there's a big word secrecy across the top in capital letters and there's a space for them to sign their name at the bottom but i absolutely love this section here that says do not talk by your own fireside it says, if you're indiscreet and tell your own folks, they may see no reason why they shall not do likewise. They're not in a position to know the consequences and have received no guidance. Their only safety will lie in utter ignorance wow. of your work.
1: So it was a way of protecting those around you. Put
4: the frighteners on people. Really? And that's the way of not telling what you were doing. Because sometimes, yes. obviously, it must have been so tempting to explain what you were doing yeah, and just yeah. tell your parents, give them a hint that you weren't wasting away in some yeah. mm. middle of Buckinghamshire doing nothing at all. What when it was, people was came up to
0: live here, to be in their billets, mm. as they're called, would they have been sort of put up by someone that lived locally that had a yes. spare room?
4: Yes, they really would have been. And not everybody. So with the huge expansion of the Bletchley Park site, they built these two big military camps next door. One for the army, which also housed the women's... Um, army service the ATS yeah and one for the RAF which housed the WAFs the Women's Auxiliary Air Force as well and then the Royal Navy took over some country houses locally and civilians a large bulk of people that worked here at Bletchley Park were put up with local families uh, sometimes right. several of them at a time local families had no choice you had to
1: have oh if really you, if you
4: had the space you would have to have somebody come and live ah. with you fair enough perhaps it was fine maybe you got their coffee ration if, if <laughs> yeah they didn't like it you could have it so there were some perks um but it was occasionally you're given furniture to provide for them as well it wasn't yeah. as if you had to source all that yourself but it was an imposition but it did mean the local people of the bletchley area had bletchley park employees living not even just among them but very often with them yeah
0: I think the reason this place is so exciting to me is because there's so many female stories here. And as a woman, you know, I often feel like our history hasn't been documented mm. anywhere nearly as much as male history yeah. has been documented. And then when you think about queer women, I mean, sometimes women's history was documented because of who their husbands were. If you didn't have a husband, <laughs> our stories just aren't... They just, they just don't exist. Queer, queer stories throughout history, you know, it's, it's quite hard. You've got to do a lot of digging to find it because, you know... I would very much imagine that gay women were here at Bletchley. Of course they were. We love a uniform. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, of course, their stories wouldn't have been recorded because, you know, there was a chance that at that time if you had come out, you might have been sent to an institute for the mentally unwell. So, yeah, I think it's really sad that queer women's stories aren't documented or remembered because I think it makes it look like we didn't exist. Mm. But, you know, for all kinds of queer people, we have always been here and whether people wanted to document it or not and I think that's why I'm so out now not suggesting that my life should in any way be documented but I think visibility being able to see people that are like you is so important and and that, that that's why female history is so important to me as well you know I know that for a big section of my teen years I felt like you know horrified with myself because i thought well i'm gonna have to have a sad life because the only time that you ever saw anything about gay people would be something to do with the aids Mm. crisis or to do with gay bashing or to do with women becoming spinsters and being lonely and so i never knew that there was this hopeful life where i could be happy and married and have a job i love and have a child you know it just didn't seem possible yeah and so now making sure that these things are written down and committed to the history books i think are really important the fact that this place exists and there are women's stories here i think is Mm. hopeful and inspiring we need
4: more people i was 17 well i wasn't quite 17 then i was 16 she said i'll put your name
1: down i didn't tell my parents because i thought she'd forget but two or three days
0: later i got a letter and
1: that was it it must have been really exciting
0: yeah quite frightening and quite exciting yeah yeah especially that young I think as well, knowing that you were doing something that was going to benefit the war, there was such a... There'd be so much civic pride or national pride exactly. you, being somewhere like this. Yeah, because it must have been, particularly at the beginning, when, when it felt
1: like it was the men away fighting, yeah. that feeling of, like, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. It's mad. What jobs did you have at 17?
0: Um, I worked in a donut factory, so <laughs> that's great. I don't think I would have been much use anywhere.
4: We've moved into an area that looks at housing and the housing experience of Bletchley Park staff really varied depending on what service you were in. So I mentioned these large military camps next door. We have a photograph on the wall showing one of the huts where people would have lived in the army, one of those camps. Mm. And it looks like a long barracks with individual bunk beds. Someone's very thoughtfully put a little jam jar of flowers on top of the stove, but I would imagine it was basic.
0: Yeah, they they get a chair and a bed, don't they? Yeah. 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 That, and that must have been really quite
1: scary in terms of how vulnerable you'd feel as a young girl anyway, it's sort of being sent to say, stay with complete strangers. Mm. I
3: yes. can't imagine
1: that. I really, like, it's, it's you know, something about it being being a woman or a young girl in this day and age you know safety is always at the forefront and and sort of scared quite a lot of the time of but I I don't know if that's sort of part of the fact that you know there was this wartime spirit and you just sort of trusted people that you're all on the same side.
4: I think in some cases that was that was how it happened but in some cases people were frightened and as the scale of the people who were being recruited to Bletchley Park increased they actually built a women's hostel on site because they were getting so many complaints from mothers of these young women so they were putting young women up on site when they first turned up until they could be placed with a respectable and local
0: family oh i see and just behind us here there's a glass cabinet of things that people have obviously donated to the exhibition and it says people working at bletchley park found ways to record their memories and add a personal touch to their basic living spaces and so we've got a cardigan here a hand knitted cardigan to match the colors of the women's auxiliary air force uniform oh wow and we've got someone's diary, Barbara Quirk's diary from 1943. Can you read any of it? Oh, Caught look. the 155 from Watford. Saw someone at
2: BP Lexi Park
0: uh, Crawley. Crawley. Is a super
1: house, I think. I like it here. Oh wow! Rang, Rang family, family at home. Cheers. And the well, next day, slept late, had a 10am breakfast. Lovely. Very nice. <laughs> then moved cabins, had lunch. I messed about. Huh. Left at three. I'd love to know what the messing about was.
4: Keeping diaries wasn't illegal. You could record your own personal experiences as long as you didn't give away secrets but taking photos and sketching particularly on site within the grounds was utterly banned so quite often it is these just words from the past that we have and having to be quite
1: vague you know sort of really concentrating on the minutiae of the day as opposed to
4: yes what food you ate and what time you got up and maybe who you met for a walk
0: but I suppose once you get used to the fact that you're doing your work here it becomes less extraordinary to you because it's just your job Yeah, so you would be like oh I had a nice curry or I had the nice yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah High point of the day yeah. was in fact yeah how many sugars
4: I could put in my tea yeah, yeah.
0: I've loved today it's been amazing what did you what, what are you going to take away from it Do you know what? The thing that's blown my
1: mind the most in a way is is this level of secrecy and this idea of how, you know, doing something so kind of heroic and not being able to talk about it. I think that's probably a reflection of where we are today as a society and how we all boast and we're all putting things on, you know, dropping exciting announcements on social media and things like that. Imagine knowing that you're helping end the war and not being able to tell anyone. I think that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I I think that's brilliant. I I think the, the camaraderie... Yeah. As well. I didn't know that they had sort of groups here and, you know, putting societies, on putting on plays, putting on musicals. You know, the fact that it was like a little village inside of a village. Yeah. And yeah, I and, and how they had to keep it secret from other people that worked here as well. Yeah. And I just thought that exhibition was just fascinating. I know we spent oh, yeah. a little while in there, but I could have spent hours looking Absolutely. around, there, hearing those personal stories and, you know, making sure that those people's voices are recorded mm. and not just their voices their stories are recorded for generations to come to know yeah. that this place existed and the work that they did here and although to them as it says in in some of their sort of oral history you know it was quite monotonous or it felt quite boring or they didn't exactly know what they were doing yeah they were actually part of the reason mm. that the war ended yeah what about the women that had to learn japanese in six months
1: that sounds like an amazing course
0: yeah i mean i don't think that it's i don't Still. think it's on
1: offer Go and check in the gift shop, maybe. Okay, I'm gonna go yeah. and have a look in the gift shop. Oh, we've got the
0: gift shop. We haven't been there the yet. Best I love the best bit shop. <laughs> if you'd sort of been recruited to work at Bletchley, mm. what do you think you would be doing?
1: I'd be typing. You would be really, typing. really fast typist. Yeah, you're it's really one good of my at only typing. skills. <laughs> <laughs> you can type over a hundred words per minute. So yeah, I'd, here. Yeah, I'd be typing something, not knowing what I was doing. What about you?
0: Oh, I don't know. Maybe like the postwoman. You're oh, I'd fast like that. On my bike, aren't I? You
1: are very good on a bike and very chatty.
0: Trusting and maybe Matthews. do you
1: think maybe we'd have met both uh, both doing the play?
0: No, I don't think we would have been friends.
1: Jen. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> God, that type is she's full of herself.
1: <laughs> no, I think we would have been friends. I think we'd have been in the. Uh, we'd
0: have been best friends.
1: Yeah, of course. And we'd have had again. It would be a bit like how we met. Just us in a little flat
0: and a pair of tap shoes <laughs> yeah. putting on a show for everyone at Bletchley Park. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Listening to Meet Me at Museum with me, Susie Ruffle, and me, Jenny Bede, here at Bletchley Park in Milton Keynes.
0: If you like this episode of the podcast, please rate, subscribe, or telephone.
1: And don't forget, you can show your love for museums with a National Art Pass. It gives you great benefits at hundreds of venues while raising money to support them. Mm.